We're going to go tonight um, back into our series on the home as we've asked God to bless this home. That's the idea behind the series here. And of course, uh, what we've talked about is if we want to build lives and families um, that are blessed by the Lord and we, we enjoy His blessings in our lives, we need to build lives and families on the Word of God. As, we, as I think I said when we began this series, um, we talked about when you look throughout how God blesses His people, especially in the Old Testament, um, those blessings come through obedience. That's how we enjoy the blessing of God in our lives. Um, and, and so we need to consistently build our marriages, our homes, our lives, our families on God's Word that we can enjoy His blessing in our families and see Him do amazing things in and through our families. And tonight, um, what we want to talk about is building lives of godly service. Um, so when I, when I laid out this series and thought about some things that would be helpful to us, I kind of had this, this list that I go back to, and this one was, I just put the idea of serving in our homes. You know, how do we serve God in our homes? So it, it comes out, and then it comes, as I sit and, and, and think about these things and, and look at the scriptures, it comes then back to these different passages, and it, it comes out with this idea of, well, we're going to build lives of, of godly service, of, of service to God, and it comes from Galatians chapter 5, which, which Galatians 5 is, is really a... a a key, I think it's one of the key texts in the New Testament to understand about um, walking in the Spirit and living for the Lord. We talked about it a little bit this morning in our Sunday school hour. Um, and so tonight, uh, we're going to back up and look at the liberty that we enjoy in Jesus Christ and how we're called to serve Him. And as I mentioned this morning, what we're going to do tonight is, is we're going to exegete the passage together, understand its applications and its print and, and the way that it applies to our lives. And then at the end tonight, I'm going to take the last point and I'm gonna, we're going to apply those truths into the home, if that makes sense, to give, give specific application of how we can do this in our lives. Um, but we have to understand the text and, and its context uh, before we can make those specific applications. So in, G- in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, Paul writes, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Uh, There's a phrase that I have said probably countless times in my life, and you, in this room, probably have as well. And the phrase goes like this, with liberty and justice for all. And you've probably said that many times because it's the end of the Pledge of Allegiance of the United States. And the ideas of liberty and freedom to do whatever we want is something that's woven into the fabric of what we call the American dream, and it's dear to the heart of the citizens of the United States. We spend a lot of time in our lives, in our country, debating liberties and freedoms and what our politicians are doing or not doing to continue these ideals that we have in our lives. But there is a greater liberty that's available to us in Jesus Christ. It is a liberty from the power of sin. 
but it is also a liberty that requires something of its recipients. When we think of the word liberty, especially in our first world American minds, we often think of it this way. Liberty is the freedom to do whatever I want, right? And, and it's, the, it's, it's, the, um, it, it's what we told our kids growing up. Hey, here, you can, you can go and be whatever you want to be, whatever God calls you to be, or whatever you want to be in life, you can go and you can do that. But see, when God liberates us from our sin, he doesn't liberate us so we can go and do what we want. He liberates us so that we can live for his honor and his glory. That's the gospel. And tonight, let us see the lives of godly service that God wants us to build and how that begins in our homes. But before we can do that, very briefly, I want to give you some background of the book of Galatians to help you understand where this passage fits into the the overall scheme here. The, The book of Galatians carries as its theme, true freedom comes only through Jesus Christ. Paul is, in the earliest letter that we have recorded of Paul in the New Testament, Paul is writing to the church or, or churches in the area of Galatia, and he is, um, he's combating some problems that are going on there. You see, there have been false teachers that have come into the church there, and they are claiming, uh, they're, they're known as the group, of, uh, it's called the Judaizers, and they're claiming that what you need is the grace of God and also works. They claim that the faith that you have in Jesus Christ isn't enough to save you from your sin. You need to also then do these things. And now specifically, what they were pushing was this act of circumcision that was the sign of the covenant of the people of God, saying, hey, it's fine that you believe in God, and that's good, but you also need to add this to your, to your faith in order to be saved. Now, we're not talking about adding things to our faith, like Peter says, adding to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge, and these things to build up the life of a believer. We're talking about this is what they were preaching you had to have in order for God to accept you. I often refer to them as the grace plusers group. Yeah, you need God's grace, but you also need some works. And Paul refutes this line of thinking all throughout the gospel and talking about the law and the grace of God and, and shows that, that true freedom comes only through Jesus Christ. And in the first 12 verses of chapter 5, Paul really goes after this teaching. And we're not going to take time to look at it tonight. I encourage you to look at it on your own this week. Paul has some very, very strong words. I was just talking to somebody the other day about this passage and how it ends and how strong Paul is uh, coming out against these people who, who preach this. And he makes the case that Jesus is enough. That his death and resurrection are all we need to be free from sin. And so now he goes on from there to describe this liberty that we have in Jesus Christ to serve God and others. And what we see here is the freedom of the gospel compels us to serve one another at home and beyond. The freedom of the gospel compels us to serve. That's exactly what Paul says here in verses 13 through 15. That's exactly um, the thinking that we, have to, that we have to take into our minds, renew our minds to understand in the things of God, that, that we are freed to serve. And that's why I said we have to sometimes uh, get out of our first world American mindsets where we think freedom is, I'm free to do whatever it is I want. We're free to serve the Lord. We're free to follow him. 
because we couldn't before in our sin. So let's look tonight at this idea of liberty that Paul talks about here, and we see three different things that Paul says in these verses. The first part of verse 13, Paul gives a caution when it comes to liberty. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. So Paul says here that that liberty comes with caution. We have to see here there's a freedom from sin and the law as a means of grace. Throughout Galatians, Paul has maintained the freedom the Christian has in Christ. And here he's just finished this impassioned case against those preaching a message of grace plus works. And he reminds the believers in Galatia and us in turn that we have been called to liberty, to freedom in Jesus. First, in Jesus, you have freedom from your sin. And we talked about it again this morning in Sunday school. You have freedom from the penalty of sin in your life. You do not have to wonder or worry about your eternity. Jesus paid the price for your sin. So therefore, if you have placed your faith in him, you are free indeed. All you need to be saved from your sin is complete trust in Christ and his finished work. His blood and his righteousness paid the price for you, and it is credited to your account. You are free from the penalty of sin. And that's a wonderful truth. That's a necessary truth. And again, if you understand some of the context of what Paul is dealing with in Galatians, it's a vital truth for them. It's a vital truth for us that that it's nothing we do. It's all about Jesus Christ. We are free from this idea of trying to have to keep up with these things. Secondly, Paul emphasizes the freedom in Christ that you have from the law as a means of being made right before God. Because as we've said here before, how many people did the law of God save from sin? Zero. The law of God was never intended to save anyone from sin, right? It was intended to show us we have a problem. We can't keep that, right? It's not possible. It was given to show us our sinfulness. The Israelites kept the law in order to obey God, right? He did these things, and they had to keep the law in order to obey God. But at the end of the day, was the law making them righteous? No. What was, what was the, the atonement for their sin? It was the animal sacrifices, right? But at the end of the day, whose righteousness did they need? The righteousness of an animal? No, they needed the righteousness of God on their accounts. And in that law, they would have seen the incredible price of sin. And then Jesus came and he said, think not that I came to destroy the law. I came to, and the word he used is what? Fulfill the law. He kept it perfectly. He was the fulfillment of all the prophecies, all the things that pointed ahead. He fulfilled the law. He he gave himself then as the one and only perfect sacrifice for mankind. We don't have to add to our faith anything for salvation, right? There's nothing you need to do or add to your faith in order to be completely saved. The Judaizers in Galatia claimed you needed works to go along with that faith, and that's not, that's not true liberty. True liberty is freedom from, from all other things for salvation. So Paul comes out here and makes a strong case 
for true liberty in Jesus Christ. But as he does so, he then is careful to address the other side. Have you found, um, maybe through our discussions we've had here, or just as you observe life in general, uh, mankind is often like a pendulum. We're either over here or we're over here, right? And such is the case here. You have these people over here who are preaching that you need, sure, you can have the grace of God, but you also need works. You need the law. And then Paul's going to address the other side. And the other side is a group of people um, who, who, who make a whole, totally different case, that there's, there's a case to be, to be made against forgetting obedience now. Because opposite of what the false teachers in Galatia taught, some practice what's known as antinomianism, or you could, use, you could just simply say it, lawlessness in their lives. Now, they're not adding anything to God's grace in their lives. Instead, they have a misunderstanding of the grace of God and presuming on the grace of God in their lives. And they, they say, hey, you know, we've been saved. Now we can do whatever we want because, listen, hey, God forgives. So you just go do and whatever it is you please. And my friend, that, that again is not a, a proper understanding of what the gospel is. It's not a blank check to just go do whatever you want. God did not send his son that we may serve our sin. So Paul is going to combat this thinking here. He says, for brethren, you've been called to liberty. Now he goes on. Only you do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. That word, opportunity, is an interesting word. It's a military word. It's a military word that means base of operations. So we might understand that in our day and age when, when we as a, as a country set up a base of operations, maybe there's a war going on or there has been or we want to be present in another country, we will set up a base of operations nearby or in that country, right, so that we can, so that we can carry out military operations from that base, right? We don't have to come all the way back to the United States and do that. We can do it from these parts and these pieces. What Paul is saying here, do not let the liberty you have in Jesus Christ become a base of operations for Satan to operate in your life. Do not let that liberty become an operation for the flesh, for that old, that part you live with, that man you live with that likes to sin to, to, to follow out these, on these sinful inclinations of the old man. You have a free heart from sin. Don't let it become used for the work of the devil. We still, in our lives, have sinful tendencies that appeal to us. We, we can, in that sin, then abuse God's grace in our lives. What Paul is saying here is that you are free in Jesus Christ to oppose the flesh, not serve it. Before salvation, you were bound in slavery to your sin. All you could do was serve your sin. And now in Jesus Christ, you have been set free. He has given you true, everlasting freedom. So why would we take that and use it against him? Freedom isn't a blank check. It's a call to live for God. And Jesus illustrated this for us. In Romans chapter 15, verse 3, Paul said, For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. If there is anyone who could have ever demanded that everyone serve him, it was Jesus. But he told his disciples he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He used his freedom as God not to please himself, but to serve us. 
Christ has given us the freedom to say no to sin and yes to him in himself. And more than that, he's given us freedom to serve others. So we see liberty's caution that Paul gives here. And secondly, in verse, the second part of verse 13 and verse 14, we see liberty's calling on our lives. We see the call of love where Paul says, but through love, serve one another. So instead of serving ourselves in our sin, Paul says we are free to serve God and others. Very simply, sin serves self. It always does. God's true freedom calls us instead to serve other people. The world that we live in is consumed with self. The Christian life is about serving God and others as Jesus did. Christ served others constantly when he was here on this earth. And as his servants, we are called to do the same. This is the paradox of the Christian life. We are saved and freed to serve. We love God supremely and others selflessly. We willingly place ourselves under others meeting their needs. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27, Now there was a dispute among them, that's the disciples, as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves? Jesus says to his disciples, you want to be great, serve. This is the call of a Christian. This is love's call to us, that we are to serve one another. And in so doing, we fulfill the law that we do not need to keep for salvation, but do so willingly in our own sanctification. We see love's call to our lives, but we see then love's fulfillment in our lives in verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The freedom that's granted to us through Christ isn't given that we may serve ourselves ignoring God's law. It is given that we may fulfill God's law. You understand that that the life of a believer is going to look like someone who keeps the law of God because we do that out of love for God. Jesus said before he went back to, to, before he was crucified, he said to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commandments. We do that not to gain salvation, but we do that as part of our sanctification to express our love for God. The grace of God now empowers us to live for God. And he calls us to fulfill God's law of serving and obeying him because we love him. And so Paul says here, all of God's law is fulfilled. All of God's law towards one another is fulfilled in in this greatest command. Loving others as ourselves. Of course, we know that this comes from what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 when, when he was asked by the religious leaders, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He said to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and others liken to it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend or hang all the law and the prophets. These are the two greatest commandments. And Paul here is talking about serving one another instead of ourselves. And so he says that we are to love others as ourselves. And guess what? If you didn't know this, you love yourself a lot. We're really good at that, right? We don't need help with that. 
we need to love others the way we love ourselves. Well, how do we do that? We do that through the freedom that Jesus Christ has given us. You see, without the freedom of Jesus Christ, we can't love other people the way we love ourselves. It has to come through life transformation and regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Our lives should be filled with love for God and others. And so we have to ask ourselves, when we look at our lives, whom do we serve most often? This will tell you if you're living out your freedom by who you serve. I have a friend of mine, he's a director, well, he was for many years, the director of a camp in North Carolina, and he said it this way, just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Those are the only two options we have. The way we live our lives, we're either pleasing God or we're pleasing our own selves. The way we live as Christians, am I pleasing God and am I pleasing self? And, and before, before salvation, just one choice on the shelf, pleasing self, Right? But now that we have been made new and have the new man, we have the ability to say no to self and serving God. And that takes willing submission to God and others. It means walking in the spirit of God so that you may live to the glory of God. And what we have here really is a beautiful picture, an application of a beautiful picture from the Old Testament Hebrew life, and I think it applies here. We read in Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 6, If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awe, and he shall serve him forever. This is part of the law of God to his people, but it illustrates exactly what we're talking about here. This is a servant who decided to willingly stay and serve his master because he loved him, not because he was required to. This is exactly the picture of what we as Christians, this is our lives. God has made us free from our sin that we may give our lives to him to serve him. That's the picture here. We are free from sin in Jesus Christ. We are free from the law for salvation in Christ. We are free to surrender our freedom then to God in Christ. As before salvation, we had no choice but to serve our sin. And now we have the freedom to serve him instead. And it's a beautiful thing to live a life enslaved to God, to live for him. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 22, But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. We, as human beings, are so wired to identify ourselves by the freedoms we enjoy or the privileges we have in life. We want to show our people, or we want to show, or we want to show other people in our lives our, identi- our identity. Hey, this is who I am. I am, a, I am this. I am that. I have this. I have this in my life. And we feel so strongly about these things. But our greatest identity is not some privilege we enjoy or some joy that we have in our life. Our greatest identity as a Christian is I belong to Jesus Christ. 
That's who I am. And then everything I am outside of that flows outside of that, flows from that. I belong to Jesus Christ. We manifest this by our service of God and others. If we love others as naturally as we love ourselves, we will fulfill God's law. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Very plain and simple, if we would love each other the way we love ourselves, we would live out what God says, right? But we can't do that without God. So let us realize our calling to lives of service. But understanding, if we do live for ourselves, we will see the collapse of our liberty into the strife of the old man. And that's exactly what Paul warns against in verse 15. He warns against liberty's collapse in our lives. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Paul says here there's a tearing apart that takes place. And really, verse 15 is, is kind of like a, a picture, a window into the, the churches or the church in Galatia. False teacher gave rise to, to opposing wrong views that Paul is combating here. Therefore, instead of loving and serving one another, they're going after each other. And all the while, they were only serving themselves. Let's take these two opposing views and see that. On one side, there's a view that, that we need to keep all or part of the law in order to gain salvation, right? That's what the grace plusers are teaching. Well, that's a focus on me, right? Because at the end of the day, who is responsible for my salvation? It's me. Anytime you add anything to the grace of God, that's not grace. That's all about works again. It's me. Now, on the other side, you have people who say, well, it's all about the grace of God, and I can do whatever I want after that. You know who it's all about then? It's all about me. I'm not serving anybody. I'm serving myself. So you have two people, two groups of people whom all they're concerned with is serving themselves. Both are a misunderstanding of the grace of God. Both, both are a hard miss on what it means to serve God in our freedom. Paul speaks here, but if you bite and devour one another, that's a very picturesque word, uh, word choice there, a phrase. It, it pictures wild animals engaged in deadly struggle. It's cruel, it's ungodly, and it will ruin the work of God. In fact, Paul says that, there, that the second part of this verse, not only is there a tearing apart, but there's a consuming of testimonies that takes place. He says, beware lest you be consumed by one another. If we all seek to serve ourselves, then we will do nothing but tear ourselves apart. The testimony of the church will be ruined. Families will split. The name of God will be besmirched because this is what sin does. This is what selfishness does. It tears things apart. The church is not a place for fighting and devouring one another. 
Hey, we live in a world, what do we say about the world? The world is a dog-eat-dog place, right? You ever heard that before? Where people do anything to get ahead. God's love has shown, is shown to us, and we are called in turn to show it to others. Now, we must confront sin, but we must do it in a loving manner. We must be ever ready to identify and deal with sin in our own lives. We must live out true selfless service to one another in our homes and to one another. The Christian life isn't a dog-eat-dog place. It's a serve one another as I have served you. That's what Jesus says. And so let's now practically look how we can apply this in our home. In our home. So we, I want to take a minute. I want to take some time, like I said, and, and work through the passage and understand the passage that, that in Jesus Christ, you have been called to serve. We all have been called to this service. And so now, how do we take those ideas that we are to love one another as we love ourselves and apply them in the four walls of our houses every week? And then beyond that. So there's service in the Christian home, number one, to one another. There's service in our Christian homes to one another. A Christian home should be the place where we find service being carried out to one another regularly. And tongue-in-cheek, that's not because, parents, you have free laborers in your kids, okay? That's not what this is talking about here. But because godly homes should be places where we live out the calling of the gospel. You, as a Christian, as a disciple are free to serve your family. Husbands, you then are free to serve your wife. God has granted you the freedom from serving yourself to instead serve your wife. But boy, do we make that difficult, right? We say things like, well, hey, you know what? The wife, boys, this weekend, the wife needs to, be, needs to do such and such. You know, the old ball and chain, got to go fulfill my duties. That's not service, right? That's, again, selfishness. Maybe you never said it that way, but perhaps you've uttered similar sentiment or approached your life in that way. Guys, there are times when you just want to jump in and fix all of your wife's problems for her, right? Hey, I know how to fix that. We'll just jump in. We'll do this. We'll take through that. However, Serving her means listening to her, meeting her emotional needs that, that you, don't, you may not feel in your heart. And there are other areas, of course, we can go on, and this is not a, an exhaustive list. The husbands, we're free to serve our wives. Wives, you are free to serve your husbands. I get it. He really doesn't know everything you do in a day and everything you've been through as a mother. That's the truth, Okay? But maybe he truly had a rough day at work, or maybe he needs a time to, to relax or just a minute to sort life out. Or you might be very capable of doing something on your own, but he wants to help you or he wants to do something for you, even if it would just be faster if you did it yourself. But we have to understand that marriages are teamwork. They are two people from two different backgrounds coming together as one to form a new unit. Godly marriages are those where two sinful people redeemed by God now are free to serve one another. And that's the only way that godly homes can work if we are serving one another. We talked about 
in these messages, the way God set up the home as husbands are the leaders and, and wives and those sorts of things. But, but at the end of the day, remember, so the calling is still to serve each other. The goal isn't to exalt my needs over the other person, but ask God, how can I serve the other person in the love of God? Parents, you are free to serve your children. I think this phrase might get some amens. We'll see. Parents, our children are extremely ungrateful. Oh, no amens. Okay, we have all grateful children here, right? (laughs) Why are they this way? Well, they came into the world as pagans, didn't they? And the older they get, the more we see it. But by God's grace... We have the opportunity to live out the gospel and share the gospel with them. You have a mission field. This means exhibiting servant-heartedness to them. And we have to understand that serving doesn't keep score. Parents, there will be countless practices, doctor's visits, meals, laundry runs, situations requiring our help, and pleas for attention at really strange hours of the night. And it is easy for us to ignore our children and serve our own desires. It's easy for us to remind our children just how much we do for them and how grateful they should be because not every child has it this good. But that isn't service in the love of God, right? Service for God puts their good above my desires, showing them Jesus. Children. You are free to serve your parents if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. What is your mission? According to Ephesians 6.1, to obey and honor your parents. We obey quickly, sweetly, and completely because this honors the Lord. And kids, the older you get, the less you should need to be told everything you need to do in life to obey your parents. You know this is what you're supposed to do. This is the things that you're supposed to do to obey them. And you cannot float through life waiting for mom and dad to command your obedience every time. Take the initiative. Serve by doing what you know you need to do. Show them a godly attitude of respect and honor. That's what God's called you to do as a child to serve your parents. And children of older parents, you may have some, there may, I know there's some in here tonight, you have older parents who need you a little more in your life. It's kind of, it's kind of a strange thing when, when the world turns back around that way. You are free to serve them. And I get it. I, I've had many conversations with many a person who's, who's, who's deeply involved in their parent's life, and sometimes they have some needs that are really hard to meet. They have days where the world's just crashing in on them. They require time, and and you have a lot of things going on in your life. But your service to them and the love of God does not go unnoticed by God. I just want to remind you of that. And then, lastly, as we look at this service to one another in the Christian home, let's talk about brothers and sisters, or sisters and sisters, or brothers and brothers. I should just say siblings, okay? Okay. You are free to serve one another. The root 
of disagreements, let's take it beyond that. The root of fights in our homes is selfishness, is it not? I mean, how many of you as a parent have heard those cries from the other room? I want to do this, I want to do that, and it just kind of devolves from there, right? Siblings want their own way, and, the other, and they want the other siblings to bow to their wishes. Instead, you are free in Jesus Christ to do what the other one wants to do. You are free to compromise and say, I don't have to have it my way. And our homes can be places of constant service if we know Jesus Christ. But let's kick it all the way back to what we said a minute ago. It starts at the top. It starts with dad. It starts with the husband leading the way. I'm going to serve. I'm free to serve. I'm free to serve because of Jesus Christ. And it trickles down throughout the family. So you have to ask yourself, how do I serve my family every day? I mean, seriously, write it down. Think about it. Write that name of that person. How do I serve? Fill in your spouse's name every day. How do I serve? Fill in your kids' names. How do I serve? Fill in your parents' names. You probably would say mom or dad. You probably wouldn't write their names. How do I serve my siblings for the glory of God? And then let's take it beyond that. Because that's where it needs to start. Service to one another starts in our homes. But then we should serve, not only, not only should there be service in the Christian home to one another, but there should be service in a Christian home with one another. As Christian families live out this passage towards one another in the home, we should also then live it out together in the local church or in the community that we live in. Because after all, the primary application of this passage that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 is to the local church, right? Paul wrote to believers in Galatia who are part of one or multiple churches, so we should be serving one another here in this place. We must not be just content to do our own thing. And so often we are. We just go about our business hoping no one will bug us. We flit in, even to church, we do what needs to be done, we flit out, we close the garage, we go in the house, it's good. Instead, let us live with service to God in mind. The biblical model is very clear. Join a local church and serve God, serve the Lord by serving those there and serving alongside them. The idea of of not joining a local church is completely foreign to a New Testament mentality. Instead, we have a human desire, though, for unaccountability, to little to no commitment, or to do my own thing, and that's just taken over, and, but we need to invest ourselves together in the local church. We need to open ourselves up very practically to be used at a maximum level in the work of God. And we need to teach our children by serving together. You realize that that children of all ages can serve the Lord. Younger children can learn to help around the church with mom and dad. Elementary age children can take on responsibilities before and after services. Teens can serve in classrooms and other ministries of the church. And then as adults, we should also seek out ways to serve. And I would tell you this, just, just as very, very candidly as a pastor, don't wait around for somebody to ask you, Find out how you can serve in the church. How much, how amazing would it be, you know? Okay, this is selfish. How amazing would it be if I open my email tomorrow and there are 15 people? Hey, I just want to serve in church, okay? 
That's like a pipe dream for a pastor. Okay? But, but seriously, I think sometimes we sit around and say, well, I'm just going to wait for somebody to ask. I just really want to wait for somebody to ask. Be willing to go and say, hey, this is some things I know how to do. This is some things I, maybe this is something I don't know how to do, but I just want to be used. Where can I be used in church? How can I be used in the work of God? Where, where do you have needs? Jump into a place where you can make a difference. Or, and I would strongly encourage you to learn something new. There are some practical ways where you can serve in your church and some you don't even know about. You can find ways for your family to serve together as well in the church if you find yourself in that situation. I mean, we have things here like church work days. We have door greeters. We have set up and tear down that has to take place every week. We have other and, and other areas that are perfect ways to serve together in the local church. But then take it outside of the church building because it's so easy. I mean, serving on a Sunday or a Wednesday, those are important things. Don't get me wrong, but those can be very easy things to do, right? Because we're here anyway, right? And I would encourage you to get involved in Sunday and Wednesday regular ministries of our church because I think it's a great way to get plugged in. But then I would encourage you to take it outside of that. Serve other people in the church. Help older members of the church with things around their home. Have a family over for dinner. Babysit younger children and send parents out on a date night. Work on a project with someone else from the church. I mean, there are endless ways within a body of believers to serve one another. But that service doesn't stop there. Outside of church, continue to serve. There are also ways to get involved in your community and the lives of those around you. I mean, I've found that countless times as I've gone through life, and I've, I've even done that some here in our community. And again, I don't say that as, oh, look, there's the pastor. He's so good. I just tell you practical ideas that I've had in my own life, serving at the local public school, keeping score, or, or, or running things on the sideline at ball games or whatever. Why? And the whole reason is just to serve, just to make a difference, just to put, put ourselves in the lives of other people. Hey, I just want to make a difference. I just want to make a difference for the gospel. I want to, I want to take an opportunity to build relationships, to reach people with the gospel. That's what we do, right? By serving other people. You can show the love of Christ to build those opportunities in your own life. You can help a neighbor with projects and needs around their house. You can volunteer in a shelter or other place of help. You can be a part of an event or a program in the local community. We should be engaged with others around us in our community for the gospel. And when I say I just want to make a difference, I'm not saying in just in the community. I want to make a difference in other people's lives for the kingdom of God. That's our motivation. But we have to go where people are in order to do that. We, we open the doors of our church three times a week, right? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening. We open the doors of our church to, for, the people, for people to hear what we're talking about here. But understand that church is for the people of God primarily. That's who walks through these doors on a Sunday or a Wednesday. We still got thousands of people we got to reach. And you can't do that by sitting here. We got to go out and be a part of our community and serve them. Some of the greatest lessons I learned as a child and as a teenager were in times of service with my own family. I can remember growing up 
going to the homes of older church members. My dad, we'd bring the hymnal, and we'd sing these songs out of the hymnal. No piano, just we're here to sing. I remember in the middle of, of the Atlanta summer, when my dad was off work, going to my grandfather's house and putting vinyl siding on my grandfather's house just because, hey, we love you. We want to do this. We want to help. I remember teaching children's church together. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I did not often get a choice of whether or not I was going to participate in those activities. And that's okay. I think sometimes we sell ourselves the idea, well, I'm not going to make my kids do anything they don't want to do. Tell your kids, put your arm around your kids. Hey, we're going to go serve together. And you don't have to look at them and say, well, you like it or not, okay? That's probably going to create a bad atmosphere, just so you know, okay? But positively, hey, we're going to go serve the Lord together by doing X, Y, Z. Well, I don't want to. Okay, we're going to go serve the Lord together by doing X, Y, Z, right? And we say, hey, let's go. Let's serve God. The Bible calls us to serve. So we're going to serve. So, so we're going to serve. That was the mentality that I, that I learned growing up from my parents. That's the mentality that we as Christians should exhibit. Hey, God calls us to serve. We're going to go do it. And sure, we may not be the best at this. This may be uncomfortable. This is maybe something we're gonna, we need to learn a little more about. But bless the Lord, you know, we're going to serve him and we're going to seek him. We're going to try to do what honors him. And these things, this mentality can be communicated and enacted effectively in our lives, in our lives of our families. And in so doing, the body is built up. So lastly, what we see here, sir, that service in the Christian home makes us greater together. The Christian life isn't the life of, the, of a lone ranger. How many are familiar with the lone ranger, right? Him and his friend, his, his, uh, his tanto, right? His probably now politically incorrect partner. He was one man though, right? He's out there fighting for, for justice and, and all of these things and trying to rescue people. I've never seen the lone ranger, just so you know, I just know who he is, so... Some of you can correct me afterwards, but I'm familiar with the concept. That's not the Christian life, to go out there with your gospel gun and take down everybody. Our calling is to serve together with the love of Jesus Christ. Standing for what is right, firmly on the word of God. But we need one another. We need this community. We need our families as we follow the Lord together. And when we do this, we edify one another. We are always stronger together. And when you serve, the Lord sees this. God promises to reward faithful service to himself. And your family and your church will grow stronger together as you purposefully serve the Lord together. And and perhaps, if I can emphasize as we close tonight, one word is that word, purposefully serve the Lord together. It's so easy to fall into, well, this is what we do. This is our day to greet. This is our day to do this. This is our month to do this. This is our time to do this. This is our, so we're going to do it because that's what we're supposed to do. No, hey, this is an opportunity God has given us. Let's go and make the most of it today. Let's, make, let's serve the Lord with gladness together today and be purposeful about how we do these things in our lives. The freedom of the gospel compels us to serve one another at home and beyond 
There is freedom in Jesus that calls us to servitude. Jesus, as God, was free to do whatever he wished. But he submitted himself to the will of the Father, serving us through his death and resurrection. In Christ, we are free to serve others as well, showing them the love of God. Who has God placed in your life to serve? I'll tell you who the first place to start, your family. God has called you to serve your family. So how can you serve them tonight, this week, this month, and beyond? Serving one another means loving them with a selfless, Christ-like love. We can live the freedom you have in Christ and serve your family, your church, and your community. And you will never cease to be blessed by serving in the spirit of Christ-like love. This world sells us a bill of goods that if we fight for ourselves and we go after everything that will make us happy and we seek this and that and, and take more and more and more to ourselves, then you will be happy. My friend, you will chase happiness the rest of your life. But if you will see the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ to serve those that God has placed in your life, in your family and abroad, then you will enjoy the blessings of God unlike any other. And I'm not talking about physical blessings necessarily, but the spiritual joy of your heart of serving him. And of one day entering God's presence and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, thank you for your word and its power to change our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to hear it tonight. We pray that you would help us tonight to be burdened to serve you. To be consumed with serving those that you have placed in our lives. Lord, probably many of us tonight can identify one, two, three, four Maybe as many as half a, as, as a dozen or 20, 25 people in our lives, just in our immediate sphere of influence that you have given to us to serve for your honor and glory. And I pray that you would help us to see them as those who are made in your image, who you died for and whom you served, and that you would help us to be consumed with serving them out of, your, out of a love that you have given us. Be with us this week as we go. Um, out to the business we have to take care of. May we live these things out. May we see you do amazing things in and through us as we submit to following you. In your name we pray. Amen.